You're listening to McBee Care Threads, a podcast where leaders across the healthcare industry can learn from each other. We'll discuss stories and explore strategies to help providers deliver value-based care and hear your peers share their best practices for success. Let's get into the show. Hello, and welcome to UDSMR McBee's Care Threads podcast. My name is Marjorie Mantione, and I am one of UDS McBee's clinical consulting managers with oversight of our IRF chart audits and regulatory compliance division. Along with me today is Aaron Duffy-Dupre, also a clinical consulting manager with UDS McBee with oversight of our IRF education and clinical consultation division. Today, we will be hearing from our guests, Cheryl Crumpton, Specialty Services Administrator, and Becky Carey, Acute Rehabilitation Unit Program Director from Cheyenne Regional Medical Center. And they're going to share their story on rebuilding an efficient earth management team and how they utilized UDS McBee services to ensure accurate and compliant earth operations. Cheryl and Becky, let's begin with you introducing yourselves and sharing some information about your roles at Cheyenne. Hi, sure. Hello, everyone. This is Cheryl. I'm the Administrator of Specialty Services, and my background experience has mainly been in nursing leadership and administration. In the fall of 2019, I had the opportunity to have oversight of our acute rehab unit. Cheyenne Regional at that time had a management firm to oversee our rehab program, but our team was really interested in our oversight of our own program. So the decision was made to terminate our contract and run the rehab unit through the hospital as of July of 2021. This is where we began the conversations of contracting with UDS for data, support, and documentation, and also for quality outcomes tracking. Becky? Thanks, Cheryl. And Erin and Marjorie, thank you for having us. I also am an RN with a focus in leadership with previous management and director level experience. In the spring of 2021, Cheryl approached me with the opportunity that was opening up on ARU with the termination of the previous management contract. I assumed responsibilities as the interim program director while the previous management agreement was still in place. That was in May of 2021. And then I became the full-time program director in July of 2021. Hi, everyone. This is Erin. And before we turn our discussions over to Cheryl and Becky, I wanted to just give a brief history and share that back in the spring of 2021, when we were contacted by Cheyenne and just after listening to their desire to rebuild their earth management team, We recommended what we call a multi-phase consultations. And back at that time, it encompassed a PBS coordinator, program director, and pre-admission screener, also known as that admission liaison consultation. Just to give our listeners a better idea of those services, they all typically involve an on-site one-to-one consultation. And that's always provided by someone with expertise in the role. And we really were fortunate enough to go on-site to Cheyenne, and that's in Wyoming in July of 2021, yeah, even despite the public health emergency, and we conducted the PBS coordinator and program director consultations where we did just that. We spent a few days at the facility working side by side, and that was with a focus of development on those roles. And then at a later date, one of our clinical specialists with experience in developing the mission liaison role and completing that pre-admission screen went on site to Cheyenne and conducted that consultation. So I'm hoping that that information helps with somewhat of a visual on these experiences. And before we embark on the utilization of those specific UDSMR and McBee services, Cheryl, do you wanna um, provide listeners with a little background on Cheyenne 
and the redevelopment of the management process, and even briefly add what you incorporated to reestablish efficiencies. Yeah, of course, Erin. Our leadership team started without knowing a lot about the acute rehab side of the program, so we needed to find resources for education quickly and find guidance to take oversight of the rehab unit. Cheyenne Regional currently has other partnerships with UC Health, so my executives were able to put me in contact with their rehab unit's leaders. Once we were able to determine how to proceed, the support and the confidence their leaders provided was invaluable. They assured us that yes, in fact, we were on the right pathway and suggested we needed to reach out to UDS as a priority. To help us with our documentation, our data analysis portion, um, I reached out and UDS was able to investigate what all services they had to offer and it became clear this was an easy decision to make that we needed this partnership with them in order to have all of the criteria ready for transfer over to CRMC ownership. Our focus from the beginning, Erin, has been uh, to assure a strong start and foundation for long-term success, and we felt more confident doing this with UDS by our sides. I can only imagine how overwhelming at the time. What were some of your biggest challenges? Cheryl, do you want to start? Yeah, sure. Our very first challenge was trying to start a new business and prepare for CARF accreditation all within the same time frame. Staff were in different stages of understanding of care, and there were many educational opportunities. Some staff were not quite ready for all the changes happening, so we explained and took time to tell the why in many uh, instances. Our team's challenges were both in nursing and therapies, and our physician, who at the time was a physiatrist and not an intensivist. So challenges with admissions with any medical component was detouring um, some of our admissions. So we started by reinforcing re admission criteria, educating our inpatient unit physician and our nurse practitioners, and learning the ins and outs of reimbursement and the challenges with getting patients pre-approved. Another challenge uh, was transportation and organizing out-of-town patients to return to Cheyenne for care. Oh, and one more challenge was the ever-so-loved rack audits we were occurring um, happened at the same time. Becky? Yeah, Cheryl, that's a trip down memory lane with all those uh, challenges that we started with. And for me, the biggest challenges were learning all the regulatory requirements and the ERF oversight details, along with that day-to-day -day management of the program needs, because they were completely unknown to me when I stepped into the role of program director. The previous management organization ended, and with them, all of their knowledge of the program processes were left for us to try and understand. This, along with leading a team that hadn't been used to operating without an external management group for well over 20 years, led to feelings of uncertainty in the staff and the leadership team. So we really had to learn our roles quickly. It was very important to calm those fears, so we did that by leaning into the support we received through UDS as well as our UC Health partners who offered their educational resources. Joanne Arabas, um, who is the program, uh, Poudre Valley Hospital Program Director in Fort Collins, was just invaluable. And we were so fortunate to develop wonderful relationships with both of you. At the same time, we stepped right into a car base, uh, CARF survey, just as our contracted services was being terminated, and we were assuming responsibilities. So as Cheryl said, no pressure, right? But I remember being told repeatedly by you, Aaron, and others that with the help and support we were receiving, everything would be okay. Even our UC Health team repeatedly said, if you have UDS support, you're going to be just fine. 
Having that reassurance and the depth of knowledge to seek when it was needed was so encouraging to us as we worked through that learning curve. And then the staff truly became increasingly proud of the fact that, you know what, this is our unit and we're responsible for our success. So it really helped us build that foundation. Oh, thanks, Becky. I love that ownership and pride by the team. Cheryl, what were your key takeaways from the consultations? And do you want to share how um, you have seen your Earth staff or even your patient population change and hopefully grow? Yeah, absolutely. One key takeaway was having the UDS team be so welcoming and helpful. Since truly we didn't know what we didn't know, we were trying to learn the best foundational systems and processes to be successful. It was important to hire the right people and UDS helped us see what we needed in types of positions to complete the team. Sometimes the easiest pieces though, really seemed the most difficult to learn. Take for instance, the acronyms, case mix index, PEM scores, PAS, what was all of that? Um, We had to wade through most all of the easy items just so we could dive into the more foundational pieces of putting the unit back together. Your team helped us build this solid foundation. The UDS consultative staff were able to really teach us about the accuracy and success of documenting and the care and treatment of therapies. Also support of the uh, clinical liaison position and how important this piece really is for pre-screening and success of admitting the right patient population. And lastly, we could not have done this without the support of our executive team and giving us the flexibility and anything that we really needed to put this together along with our UDS partners. We were grateful. Oh, that's huge. All that support is so big. I imagine our listeners can empathize with you, Cheryl, right down to the earth specific acronyms. And I really like what you said there. Sometimes the easiest pieces seem the most difficult to learn. Becky, so as the program director, how did you take the results of the clinical consulting service and implement that training with your staff? And maybe can you also even elaborate on your first focal point with the program change and that resulted? Yeah, Erin, I'd be happy to. And, you know, truly one of the things we wanted to do from the beginning was set all of our leadership staff up for success. So during our on-site consultation, we had as many staff members attend as possible. We also utilized many of the online resources and we made them available as needed when questions would come up, which they did frequently. Um, Those have been shared at staff meetings and other committee meetings to be sure we were all hearing that correct information together. I think the most important lesson learned was truly never stop learning and growing. While at first the amount of information really seemed overwhelming, By focusing on each aspect of care and oversight need, we would get those little aha moments that led us to dig deeper and ask more questions. I think the first focal point of change for me was to be sure I was balancing our 60-40 compliance ratios. We focused on the resources that helped us dig into the IGC and the rehab impairment category designations, and then look for the documentation that was needed to support the criteria for an appropriate admission. Along with that, we took what we learned from the consultants and we began to truly get acquainted with reviewing and then retrieving data in the UDS system. Being able to pull up those spider graphs, look at quality measures, performance reports, and so on, that really allowed us to motivate and encourage the team and work towards those quality improvement measures. I would also share that information, and I still do, in other venues, such as our stroke committee leadership team for the hospital. 
I'll often share the progression of a stroke patient and what their rehab progression was with the inpatient team that first provided care. And they really love being able to hear about the successful outcomes of care. Then our executive team and board members also receive this data so they can be assured that the program is viable, that we're looking through the oversight for regulatory processes and just building a strong program. This is Marjorie. Um, certainly, those are all important lessons learned, and uh, thank you so much for sharing. Um, following up on some additional program changes, let's just take a dive into the pre-admission screen consultations and those particular processes. Um, we all know that establishing that strong foundation for ERF admission and the pre-admission screen is so crucially important especially when CMS has confirmed that their contractors are placing an increased emphasis on that pre-admission screen in their audits in lieu of removal of the post-admission physician evaluation um, documentation requirement. Can you share the most immediate pre-admission screen process changes that you implemented um, following your educational instruction? What I'm really hoping you can do is share some of those aha moments that you just referenced. Yes, Marjorie. So our most important process change was to assure that we were looking for all of the supportive documentation our team could. So we were getting the correct rehab impairment category, the IGC, and then capturing as many comorbidities as possible. We used that input in reinforcing the ERF criteria that was necessary to support a good candidate for our service. So, boy, there were a lot of aha moments. But thinking back, the need to evaluate risk and medical complexity throughout the record that were specific to that individual referral. We had been relying on kind of some pre-populated risk documents that had been shared with us from other sources. And we quickly learned through that um, education we received from the consultants that we needed to focus purely on the record and not use kind of those group risks, typical risk for pulmonary cardiac stroke, um, now those references are just guidelines that we refer to as records are reviewed. Another aha moment was the need to evaluate what risk we were willing to accept in order to safely accept potential candidates. An emphasis on that current level of function, previous level of function, discharge needs, and how well we could safely manage those more complex medical cases were also discussed by the team. Oh, Becky, I am so happy that you mentioned elaboration of the risks in those pre-admission screens. We emphasize that particulate um, point in all of our pre-admission screen education. Um, it's so those individualized patient risks that are what will aid in support of a medically necessary ERF admission. We really never want an external auditor to pull charts and simply see generic risks such as those falls, DVTs, and risk for infection. Those risks need to be detailed to the patient's impairment, their comorbidities, and their function. Uh, so thank you for bringing that point to light. Um, can you share with our listeners what prompted you to pursue a pre-admission screen audit following that pre-admission screen education? From our perspective, that's certainly an excellent follow-up to complete pretty much a cross-check of success of your newly implemented pre-admission screen educational procedures. Sure, Margie. We wanted to do a thorough evaluation and conduct a really good gap analysis to assure that we were entering the correct documentation from the beginning. And taking the time up front has been invaluable and provided the team standardized information for guidance. It really gives the why. 
Conducting the pre-admission screen audits was very informative and gave us a really good look back on where we needed to focus our efforts and education to assure that everyone understood why this was so important. It was also valuable for us to take each screening piece and then be able to discuss what we were not comfortable with before we were taking ownership and fully understood to get our team in the right, uh, headed in the right direction. How did you go about your selection process for cases to audit? So many people ask us that question. Can you provide any recommendations in that regard? Yeah, our decision was to seek out our medical director's guidance on this because getting the clinical documentation was the important aspect of the review, we felt. And with his background, we thought he would have the best idea on how to support clinical diagnosis and complex patients that may otherwise have been missed. The decision was made to select a variety of those etiological diagnoses that we were seeing most frequently at the time, and also some that the clinical liaisons and the providers felt were really more challenging to review and make sure all the documentation was being collected sufficiently. We then chose stroke, hip fracture, multiple trauma, and debility, which we were seeing a lot of. It was post-COVID time. Those had either been challenges or those frequent diagnoses that kept coming up. We wanted to make sure that we had examples of various types of patients with different challenges and dig deeper into our opportunities. And I would truly recommend that process as well for others as it seemed to give us varied input. And we then could apply it to other cases like your neuro and other ortho, et cetera. I think an important point that you really just reinforced is that sometimes it is basically easy to support an ERF admission for a stroke or a brain injury patient. But those cases that are sometimes more challenging are certainly the ortho, as you referenced, the debility cases, cardiopulmonary patients. Those patients need just some a little bit stronger documentation to support their admission. What were some of the key takeaways from the review of your technical requirements in the pre-admission screen? Um, were any of those findings a surprise to you? Oh, there were surprises, and it did surprise us that there were records the auditor felt didn't support an appropriate admission. So we took those records, reviewed them as a team to see what we could learn for future screenings. It truly made us grateful that we could have the guidance early before a record, you know, say could be pulled for a review from the rack. Absolutely. We often share the importance of not only simply entering generic verbiage to cover a technical pre-admission screen requirement, but the need for them to be individualized to the patient's impairment, their comorbidities, their functional levels, same as we just talked about with the risks and addressing the full component of the criteria. Can you summarize, as a result of the audit, how you enhanced your representation in support of ERF medical necessity? Did you do that in your history of present illness section of the screen? Did you do it in your risk section of the screen? Where was that focus placed? Well, we really focused on both of those, the history of present illness and the risk. And what you said about individualizing it, we really took that from your team and used that to focus on the previous level of function, current level of function, the rehab potential, and then the needs for the discharge status. And we really wanted to do it to learn what we didn't know so we could do a more thorough evaluation of the opportunities for documenting and learn what we could take credit for and what we weren't taking credit for. 
it improved our efficiencies with our documentation. And we were able to learn how to get the most credit for the care that we were already providing or already retrieving out of the record. A significant finding for us was the auditor's review on some patients who didn't meet the criteria in her opinion for a NERF admission. The comment was that due to delays in transferring over to our unit, those patients had progressed too far on their inpatient stay, and so they really didn't need the intensity level of acute rehab services. That was truly excellent information to use in discussions with our inpatient case managers and the inpatient providers to try and do some process improvement on how best to send earlier referrals, as well as discussion with our transfer center and transport team that we were having some struggles with and continue to do so off and on. Our medical director also reviewed whether we could be more accepting of some of the higher acuity needs for potential admissions and manage them on our unit rather than waiting so long for medical stability. And balancing that has been an ongoing effort. Our unit, um, Aaron, you may remember well, our, it's a standalone facility. We're separated from our main campus, so we don't have full supportive services like emergency care on, on site, lab or pharmacy coverage here in the building, respiratory that can follow up. So there are some risks that we have to be aware of that may not be manageable in patients with significant medical concerns. Well, we really try and evaluate if we can take those patients earlier whenever it's possible. And then there were certain findings that trended out for opportunities that we might not otherwise ever have found. The delay feedback helped us to evaluate our admission score data to look at how could we make improvements with earlier transfers. So that review allowed us to evaluate internal processes and work on positive changes, which then resulted in lowered motor admission scores, giving our patients a much greater chance to improve the intense therapy to meet their goals, and then in the meantime, giving us a better outcome on our functional progression scores. You just mentioned integration of your medical director into the whole process. How did you or are you now working with your rehab physicians to achieve this level of detail? Oh, yes, Margie. Our medical director is Dr. Rivard. Um, he is really engaged in the success of improving the rehab unit and is really actively involved with improving our quality outcomes. He routinely participates in our clinical operations and leadership meetings um, and offers great suggestions for change. With his help, we identify the provider's perspective, which adds to our improvements. We're very fortunate. Our medical director is very um, open to process improvement opportunities. He has also attended the medical director training through UDS, which we really highly recommend. And he understands the value of making sure processes are in place to assist in the unit success. Everyone knows uh, that getting rehab physicians engaged in these processes is definitely key, and I believe our listeners can identify there. I want to switch gears just a little bit and touch base on the Earth Industries Looming Review Choice Demonstration. Um, CMS did announce this potential demonstration a while back in December of 2020, and then they posted another update in September of 2021. Um, what this demonstration involves is a 100% pre- or post-payment review of IRF cases. CMS is stating that they're going to start with the states of Alabama, move on to Pennsylvania, Texas, and California, and then move on to the various MAC jurisdictions. Uh, CMS also indicated that this demonstration does remain a plan 
that may evolve in conjunction with the end of the public health emergency. And as we all know, that's scheduled really soon in May of 2023, so coming up shortly. So in consideration of this review choice demonstration, has your facility put any thought into whether you would pursue a pre or a post payment review process? And if so, can you share why? Yeah, um, this is really interesting. We have not discussed this at length, and uh, this was something somewhat of a surprise for sure. We've historically done post-payment reviews at Cheyenne Regional, but simply because it was easier to obtain the documentation um, in its final stage. We have also been successful with this process and have been able to have the time to obtain any previous information we needed to support our documentation. Now that we are more confident in our processes and our consistency and our care provided, we would potentially um, be open to a prepayment review with the help and the guidance of our resources to become confident in the submissions of our patients' records. However, we would want to take the time to make this collaborative decisions and include other team members like our finance team, um, compliance, and our legal team members, since this would really be a new way of approaching the review processes. Of course, change, um, as always, is difficult and the uncertainties are always there. But it makes sense now that we have more standardized processes and care pathways that um, this potentially could be done. I believe that more payers will be evaluating these types of care pathways in the prepayment stages in the future to determine the appropriateness of patients' care and also for approval of our inpatient rehab admissions. Cheryl, thanks so much for those perspectives. Many facilities contact us and they ask us for direction as to whether it's best to pursue a pre or a post payment review. And as you just stated, this is definitely a facility decision and it has to be made in conjunction with financial teams, compliance teams, and legal teams. Each option, whether it's pre or post payment review, it really poses a caveat of demands upon the staff and financial resources across the board. Um, we just all need to stay tuned now to CMS for any additional updates. Erin? Um, yeah, I think this is a great segue to, I guess, what's going to be our last topic before we wrap up. Becky, I know from our previous discussions, gosh, I guess it's over the past year and a half now, that um, having your community and referral sources just truly understand what classifies an appropriate ERF admission, it's been identified that that's been pretty much a challenge for you all. Can you briefly share how that's been handled? Yeah, Erin, it continues to be a challenge that we work on, but I think we're making some small steps to success. So one of our initial steps we took was we wanted to increase our volume and management of external referrals. We wanted to be sure that we were meeting their needs and providing support. So our clinical liaisons have been outreaching those resources and provide education while marketing our services at the same time. And we've seen a marked increase in our external referrals, but we're still working on some of the logistical problems that a rural state like ours, um, like Wyoming, presents with trying to arrange transportation, communication delays, getting updates, insurance pre-auths. All of that is ongoing work. Internally, we feel like we've made significant progress. One of our most successful changes has been a process improvement initiative that we joined through our facility quality team which improved throughput in the discharge planning process. We've become engaged with multiple departments kind of at all levels, from inpatient case management, our hospitalist team, the therapists, the nursing units. 
Um, we do that through our clinical liaisons attending a daily meeting where they discuss needs throughout the facility and they seek information on the potential referrals. They answer questions, they collaborate on transfers, and at the same time, they provide education when questions arise on the ERF criteria and the process. And then we also worked our electronic health record and spreadsheets out to be able to share those with the team so we could make sure that they knew where we were in the referral process. So those have been just some of the changes we've made. Oh, that's great. I'm sure listeners can really um, empathize and are gobbling up some of that useful information. Well, Cheryl, Becky, as we wrap up our time together, can you provide listeners with maybe a brief overview of the process efficiencies that were gained and incorporated into your organization since the Earth's restructure? Of course. Along with the process efficiencies, it was um, more of a knowledge deficit for the staff provider and everyone involved. We learned partnering with UDS was the most efficient approach to provide better data analysis to improve our documentation skills and to assure us we were still providing individualized patient care. Again, building a strong foundation is really the key. So everyone involved understands its importance. And one thing that was most helpful is the access to our real-time data. We can access through UDS anytime we have any questions at all. Yeah, I agree, Cheryl. This is Becky and um, Aaron and Marjorie. It's just so nice to be talking with you today. And I'll go back to my initial sharing of the UDS's support team telling us from the beginning that we can do this. Whether it's been daily oversight questions, preparing for a CARF survey, or seeking direction on a new challenge, having that level of support just has been invaluable. And gaining the depth of knowledge through UDS that we were lacking really gave our team the confidence to succeed and just keep pushing forward. This is Marjorie. In conclusion, Cheryl, Becky, we just want to thank you for taking the time today to share your experiences with our listeners. I know that many are so often in your shoes and in need of either rebuilding or maybe even just fine-tuning, right, their management team. Um, Today's discussion will certainly aid others in forging along this same path. Erin, anything that you want to contribute to wrap up today? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I just really want to, we appreciate you all making this time to pause and join us in what feels so much like a full circle moment. It's encouraging to others in similar situations, and it's been rewarding to us all. I'm really personally just looking forward to seeing what's next for Cheyenne. Thank you so much, you guys, for having us. At McBee, we understand the challenges providers face across the healthcare landscape. For more than 45 years, we've been a part of the evolution of the healthcare industry. Our strategic advisory solutions span the home health, hospice, health system, and senior living care continuums, creating improved clinical, financial, and operational outcomes. Our expertise is guaranteed. Our solutions empower. Visit us today at mcbeeassociates.com. Thank you for listening to McBee Care Threads. To ensure you never miss an episode, please subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you use Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give us a quick rating for the show. Just tap the number of stars that you think the podcast deserves. For more information on the topics discussed today, visit our website at mcbeeassociates.com. Until next time.